Good morning. If you would take your Bible and be turning to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and we'll begin there in just a moment. It is a wonderful day to be together. Certainly we are thankful when the weather cooperates with really no rain and thankful when the temperature cooperates and feels good to us this time of year, but it's just a great day to be together and we are thankful that you are with us this morning, especially to those who may be visiting with us. We're thankful for the time that we've been able to spend together already in worship. We're thankful to Charles and his selection of songs and leading us, for Gary and his prayer, Don and his great thoughts as he encouraged us to think about the cross and the Lord's death. We're thankful to Robert for the announcements as well, although I wanted to make mention that Robert was being very kind, that that really everybody wants to talk to Luke's, and that's not the reason, that's not who we want to see in that family anymore. Uh, so we want to see that baby carrier is what we want to see. But uh, now we're thankful for Luke's and, and his family being with us. And as he said, uh, any questions you have or anything uh, you'd like to know about the good work that's done down in Haiti, you can see Luke's and Erica while they're here, and we're thankful they're with us uh, this morning. I do want to make mention of one thing I, I neglected to give uh, for the announcements, but this week, there's a meeting at the Dunlap congregation. It doesn't start today due to schedules, but it will start tomorrow night and go through Wednesday night. So, of course, we'd kind of like you to be here on Wednesday night with us, but Monday night or Tuesday night, it doesn't start till 8 o'clock, of course, uh, your time, 8 o'clock over here, but the speaker is Brother Don Blackwell, uh, and he's going to be there Monday through Wednesday, and uh, they've been looking forward to having him. Many of us love him and uh, been tried to support him through his accident and the work that he's continued to do. Uh, but he will be there Monday through Wednesday if you have a chance to go over. Of course, uh, tomorrow night our men are supposed to have their Devo, but maybe uh, on Tuesday night at least. Uh, it'll be a little bit of a late night, but I know you'd be blessed by going over and hearing Brother Don if you're able to this week at the Dunlap congregation. Uh, we do want to make mention as well of the Great Ladies' Day that was had yesterday. Thankful to all of those who took part in that. I know it was a good crowd. I know that they had a good time and things went very well. I also know that this morning that the, the bees are wafting through the bacon and the biscuit smell is already coming in. So uh, I know I've already lost this half of the crowd at least as they're smelling that food uh, that's cooking right now. But we'll look forward to enjoying some of that uh, in a few moments when we're done. But let's begin by looking at Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters 8 and 9. You know, we were saddened this week, uh, as has already been mentioned this morning, at the passing uh, of our brother Gary Colley. Thankful that Hannah has come our way and especially thankful uh, for the great spiritual heritage that she has in her family and thankful for Gary and the work that he did for so many years with the Memphis School of Preaching uh, and also with just preaching the gospel. Within, if not the same day or a couple of days, we also found out that Brother Hardiman Nichols passed away. Some of you know the name Gus Nichols, uh, and this is his last living son, Hardiman Nichols, another great gospel preacher that, that, passed, um, that has lived but passed away this past week, and we were sad to hear about both of those, but it was interesting as I was kind of in my office this week, several days with uh, being here and Hannah's uh, and the preparation for the Ladies' Day and things, I looked over on my shelf and I have a copy of a, a book of outlines from Brother Gus Nichols. And so I picked it up and started leafing through it and I saw this particular outline that I thought would be an encouraging thing for us to study this morning. You, if you have your bulletin in front of you, you'll notice that we're going to continue a, a series that we've been in on Sunday afternoons or evenings for several years now, looking at one particular word. And so based on the schedule, I was already due up for this afternoon to talk about one word, and the one word being faith. And as I was flipping through Brother Nichols' sermon outlines that had been shared through this book, and of course it means a lot to me because it was one of uh, Hannah's grandfather's books as well that had been passed down, not only the, the great sermon outlines through the Nichols family, but passed down through Hannah's family and made its way to me. And there was a sermon entitled, Visible Faith. 
We're going to talk in a little more detail at 1.30 about the idea of faith and what that word means. But this morning we want to notice one major thing about this concept of faith. I have to begin to ask you though, what do you think of when you think of the word faith? What is faith? There may be something that comes to your mind when you hear that word. Maybe it's the idea of belief right or belief only that's what some people say they say faith they mean I have faith I have that belief some people mean it's that system of religion the faith that's what Jude talks about again come back and we'll be discussing this in a little more detail this afternoon but but Jude talks about the faith this system of faith or this system of religion it's also possible that maybe you're talking about when you think of faith that the best and greatest secretary that any congregation could have, right? The most wonderful secretary that, that anybody could ever ask for. I told her Friday we're going to talk about faith and she was so excited to be here for the lesson this morning. But maybe you think about that faith and I just want you to know, I had to take a chance to share this, how much faith loves you all. You need to know that she shows that quite often. Yesterday, we had a little moment after the ladies' day where we were afraid we didn't have any of the communion packets. And so Charles had gotten some and, and was going to be bringing them, but there were none here. And so we kind of started looking around, and do we have grape juice? You know, if we got to use the trays again, do we have bread and that kind of thing? Well, there were several boxes of communion bread in the kitchen in there from probably at least 2020, if not 2019. And Faith was willing to do a taste test to see if they were okay. A couple said they were out of date, and I think a couple may have said they were in date, but I had walked out to the van to put something up and came back in, and Faith was dipping that on her tongue and spitting and stuff, and Hannah was dying laughing. She was, I mean, she was crying. She was laughing so hard, and Faith was willing to take a taste test for you all to see if those were any good, and they were not. So thankfully, we had what we needed this morning, uh, but she loves you enough to be willing to go that far. So what do you think of when you think of this idea of biblical faith, of course? In Matthew chapter 8, Really, I was looking, going to focus on Matthew chapter 9, but I noticed something that I had even never noticed before when I began looking at this section of Matthew. We're going to look at five particular sections right now and notice, to begin with, what the Bible, how the Bible mentions faith. Now, if you have your Bible open there to Matthew, you'll notice in chapters 5 and 7, your Bible may be full, completely, totally, only with red words. You're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Jesus is just preach this great sermon and at the end of Matthew 7 and beginning in Matthew chapter 8 he is coming down from that I can only imagine that feeling right I mean of uh, this great sermon that sort of spiritual high if you will he's he's preached this and now he's going to come down and what's going to happen is he's going to begin these interactions with all the people that he's going to come in contact with and there's a running theme not only through his teaching and his life, but especially Matthew chapters 8 and 9 here. Look first of all at Matthew 8, 5 through, <coughs> excuse me, 5 through 13. You may recall the, each one of these instances you may have studied before, but Jesus is going to heal a centurion's servant. The centurion comes to him, or Luke records that he sent some people to him and asked him to come heal his servant who was paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. Verse number 6. Jesus says... I got it. I'll come. But the centurion says, look, I'm in charge of soldiers and all I got to do is speak, right? All I do is say, you guys go there, you go there, you do this, and they do it. Can't you just speak? I know that you can, of course, is in essence what he is saying. And when Jesus hears him give that example, he marveled and said to those who followed, verse 10, assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great, here's our word, faith 
not even in Israel. We know the idea of the Jews and the Gentiles. We know the idea of those who would claim to be following God and those who weren't in the way they often had disdain for one another. And Jesus is sort of setting the table, if you will, talking about a, a great day when the gospel will be open for all. But he says, even in Israel, I have not seen such great faith. Now, I'm not going to give you the answers this morning for all five of these very quickly, but what does that mean? What do you think of when he says that? I have not seen such great faith. No, not even in Israel. We go down to verses 23 through 27, and you may remember at this time that there is a storm that comes up. A great tempest arises, and the boat is taking on water. Uh, you know, I, I don't get seasick very much or really at all. And I've also never been on a boat, though, that's taking on water, and that's under that kind of duress. And so they're worried. But Jesus, verse 24, it says, is asleep. So his disciples come to him and awake him and say, Lord, save us, we are perishing. Do you think they're afraid that Jesus is going to die? Do you think they're afraid that this master teacher that they're following is going to perish? They're certainly concerned about themselves. Lord, help us, we are perishing. And Jesus' words as he sort of arises out of this slumber is, Oh, you of little faith, why are you fearful? So what does that mean? What, what is he talking about here? Oh, you uh, of little faith. What kind of faith are they having or really the lack of it here? Well, one thing we usually say is they don't have faith, but they have fear in this particular moment. So I don't know if you underline in your Bible or if you care to, but verse 10 of chapter 8, we see the idea of faith, such a great faith. We go to verse 26 and he says, oh, you of little faith. Let's move on then to Matthew chapter 9 and notice verses 1 through 8. There is a parallel account here or in Mark, it's Mark chapter 2. And it, it used to be my favorite story growing up. I don't know if you had one of those as a kid. Maybe you still do. Uh, and I don't even know why exactly. But Mark chapter 2, the idea of these men who bring this other man and let him down through the roof, right? They can't get to Jesus. Jesus is in the house the crowd is pressed around. They can't get to him. So they get this idea, of course, very smart idea to tear apart the roof and let him down through the roof to see Jesus. And so it is as they bring him this paralytic lying on a bed in verse number two, when Jesus saw their faith. Well, now what's that talking about? You know, he saw their faith. What does that look like? We know the setting. We know exactly what happens and we know what he says he said then to the paralytic son be of good cheer your sins are forgiven you and of course he has this teaching moment there in verses three through six where he's going to then talk to those who question him about his ability to not only forgive sins but to heal those who are sick but here with the paralytic in verse number two you might underline it again if you like to but there is the word faith we move down to verses 18 through 26 of Matthew chapter 9. And this is one of those two-for-one stories, right? Because Jesus has an interaction where there is a man who is going to sin for him or come to him and say, my daughter is sick, will you come? Kind of like the centurion just a few moments ago, but will you come and heal her? Verse 19 says this time Jesus is going to arise. He's going to follow him, and so did, did his disciples. And then in verses 20 through 22, there's this little uh, kind of you know, insertion of this other story. 
as he is walking along. And we know about crowd control, right? I mean, the, only, the best example we have, of course, are, are either athletes or even the president or the paparazzi, the idea of you know, famous movie stars and things. The crowd around them, you can't even tell sometimes if somebody bumps into you. Maybe it's your own security detail. But Jesus is probably surrounded by his disciples, and he feels this woman come from behind and touch the hem of his garment. So she said, had said to herself, verse 21, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Verse 22, but Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your, there's our word if you want to underline it, faith has made you well. So her faith is, has made her well. Is that, that part of this here? Sure seems like it, at least that's the way Jesus said. So four times already now we see faith. And then Matthew 9, 27 through 31, Jesus leaves from there. And two blind men are following him. And they're crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And he said, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith if you want to underline it let it be to you five different times probably even within a day of certainly not less than a day or two he has these interactions and each time the word faith or this idea of faith is mentioned now the interesting thing, of course, about faith is, while we know that we live under the New Testament, there is an old, there is a new, and they're different in the ways in which they are rule or govern, the ways in which we are to be obedient to them, if you can allow me to maybe say it that way. We live under the new, but faith is certainly one of those principles that really spans the test of time, as we say. It's not just a New Testament thing, it's an Old Testament thing as well. I want to look at four other examples very quickly. And if you don't want to go back to the Old Testament and touch on each one, that's fine. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Because the interesting thing about the, all of these is they're going to be mentioned not only in the original context, but also again, of course, in Hebrews chapter 11. The first one is Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 6, and it is Noah. What does it say there? By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So what did Noah have first? Noah had faith. Noah had faith first. Then he showed his faith with the building of the ark. And then God saved him from this old world of sin, this old world of death. You remember that the people at that time, their thoughts were only evil continually. Saved him from those things. But what did Noah have first? And again, the original reference, of course, is Genesis chapter 6. We're reading about it here in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. But by faith, Noah. So you know, Noah had to have faith before he did those things. So Noah didn't have to be baptized, right? Yeah, that, that's not a thing when it comes to Genesis chapter 6. But Noah had to have faith, and his faith caused him then to prepare that ark. What about Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8? A second example, of course, is Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed. 
He obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. What did Abraham have first? He had faith. Then he went out. He had faith, then he went out, then God blessed him because his faith caused him to have action. And God gave him the inheritance. And of course, this is around Genesis chapter 12 that this is first mentioned, but the idea of God telling Abram to do those things. There's so much more that is included there. If you have your Bibles open to to Hebrews 11, you know in verse 9, it simply says, by faith, probably is what it says there, but of course, the implication is, by faith, Abraham continued to do other things. First he had faith, then he obeyed God. Number three, Hebrews 11 and verse 29. Hebrews 11 and verse 29. The children of Israel are mentioned here, or maybe more specifically, the children of Israel at the Red Sea. What does it say? By faith, they, they being the children of Israel, but by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. What did they have first? They had faith. They had faith, they showed that faith by crossing the Red Sea, and God saved them that day. Have you ever considered before, maybe you have, not only were their backs literally against the wall, right, that wall of water, and in essence, their backs are to the sea as it's still flowing. In front of them are the Egyptians coming at them, bearing down on them, backs against the wall. They're going to cross, but as they turn and they look at that sea, would you have set foot in between Possibly what we imagine, two gigantic waves, right? That's what we picture a lot of times, this idea of the water being rolled back and held up. You know, would you have walked through that way, or would you have been hesitant to step out? By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. What about Hebrews chapter 11 in the fourth place? Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 30. Again, it's the children of Israel, but this time it's the walls of Jericho. By faith, they, they being the children of Israel, by faith, they went through or encircled the walls of Jericho and the walls of Jericho fell down because of their faith. Once again, they have faith. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been speaking on the children of Israel here a lot lately on my Monday night class and and through the book of Joshua's and they certainly had their problems, right? They certainly probably struggled with belief at times, even going back from Joshua to the Red Sea, lots of doubt at times, but they also had faith. How did they have faith? Well, they did exactly what God said. Before we begin to make some application, let me ask you to turn back to Matthew chapter 9 one more time. To Matthew chapter 9. And let's notice. I don't know if you underline, and again, you may not want to. That's fine. But if you have underlined in Matthew 8 and 9 the instances of faith, can I ask you to either draw a circle or make a square or a rectangle, a box or something? Matthew chapter 9 here in verse number 2. What's the key? Jesus Saul. Or if you have the King James, I think it says Jesus seeing. What's the common theme all through Matthew 8 and 9? What's the common theme in Genesis 6 and 12 and those instances we looked at in Hebrews chapter 11 from the Old Testament? The common theme, the key, is the idea, of course, of Saul. Visible. It's a visible faith. Noah first had faith, he showed his faith, and then God saved him. 
Abraham had faith, but it was because he had a visible faith in which God could look at him and see what he was doing, that he's packing up his family and he's leaving and going into what God has told him to do. The children of Israel are walking, they're going, they're encircling the walls, they're doing, it's visible. And back in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, it says it specifically in Matthew 9 and verse 2, and if you made a note or circled it or whatever, that's the key. Jesus seeing or Jesus saw. That is the common denominator through all of these things. They are blessed because they have a visible faith. In all the cases of the Bible or in the Bible, we've looked at about nine this morning. We could go through a lot more. But in all the cases in the Bible where God has blessed man because of his faith, it was always after the faith was demonstrated. It was all, always after it was visible. God just didn't say, well, I'll take your word for it. You know, somebody says, well, I believe. I'll, I'll just take your word for it and, and that's it. They showed in some act or acts. It was never a dead faith. And that being said, if you have your Bible, turn over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and about verses 14 through 26 or 14 through the end of the chapter there. James chapter 2, we see the idea that it is possible to have a dead faith. James 2, 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also i ask you to begin do you have faith what kind of faith do you have it's possible to have a dead faith how do we have a dead faith we have a dead faith when we do not show any action at all when we're not acting in faith well now preacher does that mean that i've got to take a job maybe you know 200 miles from home and and pack my family up and just go and and step out in faith right take that leap of faith is that what you're talking about well not necessarily I mean, maybe that kind of example comes up in your life and you have to make that consideration. But God doesn't tell us to act in those ways necessarily to just to make this blind leap of faith. But we do need to show action. We show action by, by being a part of the body, by obeying the gospel, by being faithful to services and to our brethren, by doing good works and going around and helping others and on and on and on. But it's got to be active. It's got to be visible. Now, God also very carefully says through his word by inspiration, is it so that it can be seen by men? Not necessarily. Not so that men can see you and praise you, but that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. But it's still got to be visible. In James chapter 2 and verse number 18, the writer there, James, would say, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, though, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Must you believe? Yes. Must you have faith? Yes. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, to approach him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Faith without such visible acts, though, is dead. It will not justify notice back in james chapter 2 and verse number 14 the beginning of this section are some questions what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works the question is can faith save him and the answer of course is no just by itself not just in and of itself we have to have these works 
the, the paralytic in Matthew chapter 9 there was healed and pardoned by faith, but not at the very moment that not at the very moment that the four men believed that that Jesus would could do these things. But after they put their faith into action, after their faith brought this man all the way to Jesus, then he was healed. Then he was blessed. We've already mentioned the four Old Testament examples there. But what does that mean for us? It means that we need to truly understand faith. A few other passages here in the lesson will be yours. First of all, John chapter 3 and verse 16. John 3 and verse 16. I want to look at three passages very quickly. And, and then notice these things, and the lesson will be yours. John three sixteen. you know it so well, probably don't even have to turn there, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, and here's part of our word, or the idea of our word, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here's this thing we like to do as preachers sometimes. Just break it down real simply, right? Whoever believes can have eternal life. Is that what it says? It's exactly what it says. Believe or have faith and you can have eternal life. That's true. Many, many people believe that. And I hope you believe it too. But as well, go back to Hebrews. This time Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 9. Speaking about what Jesus had gone through. Speaking about the fact that he was the son and he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 8, number 9. And having been perfected. He became the author of eternal life, or your Bible may say eternal salvation, to all who obey him. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to be a smart out, not trying to make it too simplistic here, but what did we just say? Belief, faith equals eternal life. Here in verse 9, it says eternal life or salvation, but what comes with that? Eternal life is the result of man's obedience. So do you have to have faith to have eternal life? I think so. I think that's what it's saying. But do you have to obey to have eternal life or eternal salvation? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it's saying here. So faith is man's response to God. Faith is our response to God. Yes, we believe, but it causes us to act. It must be visible. Has anybody seen your faith lately? Has anybody seen your faith this week? I'm not asking you to pat yourself on the back. I'm not asking you to look around and think, well, yeah, I know these people saw me do that. But if we're saying that it's got to be a visible faith, that God's going to bless us when, we, when he sees us act in faith, then hopefully somebody's seen you do something. And maybe even hopefully they saw it, and then nobody even said anything to you, right, in that kind of way. The idea of not receiving all the credit, just simply doing it because you have faith in God and you want to follow him. One more passage here. It's actually the book of Romans, but let's begin in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 5. This idea of faith and obedience, visible, right, being seen, not for your own praise and glory, but for the glory of the Father, but yet acting in a visible kind of way and acting in obedience. Romans begin in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 5. Paul says, through him, <clears throat> that's Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. We want to make them so often, we want to make them opposite, not connected at all. But notice here that Paul begins this great letter, this great epistle by saying that there is obedience to the faith. But notice as well, go all the way to the end. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 26 Romans begins with this idea of obedience to the faith, 
and it ends. In Romans 16 and verse 26, Paul says, But now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith. Paul begins and ends this great letter with this idea of being obedient to the faith. Are you obedient to the faith? Do you have a visible faith that can be seen? Not for your glory, but for God's glory. Basically, what we might say, maybe to even say it in a little bit better way is, is your faith simply something that you are doing, that you are showing, that you're active in many different ways? We always say somebody could come here and sit in a pew and fill a pew every time these doors are open and probably still have a dead faith. But if you're going to be active in your faith, you probably need to be here when the doors are open, studying with brothers and sisters and encouraging them and encouraging yourself. You also probably need to walk out those doors and go through what is most of your life, right? Your daily life, most of the time that you're awake and going through life, having a visible faith that others can see. That hopefully they'll look at you at some point and say, What's different? Why is it that you act differently than everyone else? And then you're able to talk about your visible faith. This afternoon as we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about faith and the different ways it's used in the Bible and try to encourage ourselves again. But the question this morning is very simple, is have you been obedient in faith? As we talk about, as Charles usually says, we're about to sing a song of gospel invitation asking you to respond in faith, but doing that by being obedient, showing your faith by becoming a child of God, submitting yourself to God and to Christ, being baptized for the remission of your sins so that you can come in contact with the blood of Jesus, which has that power, and you can be added to the church by the Lord. Be obedient in faith this morning. Maybe you've done that in the past, but you look at your life and you say, you know what, I had a good beginning, but I've not continued. Or maybe I continued for a good while, but I've stopped and I've not been living out my faith. Why not make a change this morning? Why not have that visible faith as we read about here on the pages of the New Testament that people can see you doing good things, that God can see you being obedient to him? Maybe there's sin in your life that's between you and God that's separating you, causing that problem you'd like to make known to in, and allow us to encourage you through prayer. We're thankful for this opportunity that presents itself if you need to become a Christian or come back to him, would you come now as we stand together and as we sing?